Okay, how many of you love falling back? You love the fact that we fell back? Yeah, I saw a few. Woo-hoo. Wouldn't it be great to do this every weekend? Yeah, maybe a little kind of crazy. It was interesting. We had a larger crowd in the early service. I'm like, how many of y'all love falling back? And how many of y'all forgot to fall back? And you're here. You don't know what time it is. But anyway, uh, no matter what time it is, what it, it's always a blessed time to worship our great God, to gather around his word and to be reminded of the truth of who he is and how amazingly he loves us. And this morning, we're going to look at that reality. It's it, the scripture passage that God has for us is, uh, it really, I think if we understood it fully, we should be a congregation that'll probably want to jump up and do a dance this morning and say, are you kidding me? God loves me this much to call me his son, his daughter. We're going to look at that as we look in God's word. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll open with me to the book of Galatians in the back of the Bible, we are through a, a, working our way through a sermon series called One Gospel. Uh, as we look at this one gospel hope, the gospel means good news. Uh, the good news, not what we do, not just good advice we need to hear, but this is good news, what God has done for you and for me. Uh, incredibly what he's done through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. We're going to be in chapter four today as we make our way through this, but we're so glad that God has loved us enough not only to send us his son, to send us his spirit, but also to give us his word, to tell us of who we are and how desperately we need him. This morning, I want to introduce you to John Wesley. And if you've been around Christianity, you've probably heard of John or his brother, Charles Wesley. They've, uh, you know, written some incredible hymns that we sing. Uh, They're kind of famous in this Christian circle here. But there's things about John Wesley you may not know. Grew up in a religious home. Uh, he was educated in the early 1700s at Oxford University, a very famous place to go and to be educated. And it was there that his heart was stirring somewhat. Uh, it was there that he really wanted to devote his life with some others to following Christ. So they formed something called the Holy Club. Did you join that club in college, by the way? I mean, this is an interesting college campus, holy club. It was a society formed for the purpose of study and the pursuit of devout Christian life. I mean, these guys were serious. I mean, they got together and said, now we're going to really devote ourselves to a Christian life. As a matter of fact, their methods were so clearly seen of, of being religious and doing all these things that they were termed Methodist. Their methods, and that's kind of where we get this phrase Methodist from, that entire movement. So John Wesley is in this club, and he eventually will, will go, and he will uh, cross the Atlantic and come to a colony of Georgia and work in Savannah, and two years labor as a missionary uh, here on our soil. But as he made his way back to England, something amazingly uh, happened to him, something that when he heard someone else preach preached the gospel when he heard these Moravians, these folks with a little bit of different theology than his, preach about the gospel of grace. Preach about the fact that we are not saved because of what we do and our good works. We're saved by God's grace and what his son has done. It says that on May 24th, 1738, it was his what they call evangelical conversion. And he said that my heart was strangely warmed. It's interesting because Wesley had a great faith as a servant of God, 
But he was changing from having faith as a servant of God to having a faith as a son of God. He went from having great knowledge about God and and knowing a lot about him to knowing God personally and being known by God. And that's so important for all of us. Many times around Christianity or religion, we can know a lot about something, but it's until we understand the reality that God loves us, what God has done for us personally, when we can say, I know him and he knows me. You see, Christianity is not just a religion. It's a religion that points us to a relationship. And the God who is, is a God who is father and a God who longs for us to be sons and daughters of his and doesn't tolerate us being slaves. He wants to be a part of his family. Well, that's really in many ways the story of the Bible is how God has called us to be a part of his family. We've been looking at a guy named Abraham that's been introduced to us again here in the book of Galatians. And Abraham lived a long time ago, but God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to be your God and you are going to be my people. It was an incredible thing for God to graciously come to him. And Abraham may have been confused saying, what do you mean you're going to be a God to my people? Because when God came to Abraham, he didn't have any children, zero family. As a matter of fact, he was well beyond uh, the uh, childbearing years. His wife, Sarah, well, she was well beyond as well. But God would say, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your seed. And I'm going to bless you so much, Abraham, that all the nations are going to be blessed through you. As a matter of fact, Abraham, and remember, this is an old man with no kids. I'm going to bless you so much that you're going to have more descendants than the stars in the heaven. What a crazy, incredible promise to an old man with no kids. But incredibly crazy was he believed God. He believed God's promises. And it says in scripture, because he believed, it was credited to him as righteousness. And we we see this really important passage that, that our entry into the family isn't what we do or we don't inherit it by a bloodline. It's by God's grace through faith, by believing in that promise. And really what he's promising is, Abraham, that through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. It doesn't say seeds in the plural, it's seed in the singular. And we're going to see, even the book of Galatians, we've seen that this seed of promise is God's own son, Jesus. That really it's through him that all the nations are blessed. It's through him that we now have the privilege of being a part of God's family. The seed of promise. We're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to see as scripture will teach us the preparing of the promise to come. Now, what God used, he actually, interestingly, he used the law of God to prepare us for the promise of God. So we're going to see the preparing of promise. Secondly, we'll see the delivering of the promise. And when the, when the time is right, that God would come through on his word and he will deliver this incredible promise for us. And we'll unpack that and what that promise means. And the last thing we're going to see is the deserting of the promise that those that were crazy enough uh, to desert uh, the promises of God and to look for life elsewhere. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn me to Galatians chapter four, if not, this passage is listed for you in your bulletins. It'll also be on the screen behind me. This morning, although we're gonna be in verses one through 11 in chapter four, I'm gonna back up just and pick up verse 29 in chapter three to give you a little bit of context because again, What he's doing here is he's talking about those of us, by God's grace, who are what's called in 
Christ. Very interesting phrase. Those of us who are in Christ, who have been identified with Christ, who by God's grace put our faith and trust in Christ, we have this incredible fellowship, this incredible oneness with Christ. And we also have access to all the promises of God and those promises that he gave to Abraham and that we are actually the heirs of that promise. So let's hear God's word. Let's be mindful that God's spirit breathed on Paul these words. And because of that, it's living and active. This is God's word. He wants to speak to you this morning, not just to entertain you, but to transform you, to maybe to even make some who were enslaved to be made sons. Let's hear the word of the Lord beginning in verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Chapter four, verse one. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave though he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we thank you for this incredible word this morning. And we could already hear that there's such a dichotomy between slaves and sons, those who don't know you and those who do. Oh, Father God, I pray that you would come and you would bring clarity to your word like only you can so that every single one of us here may understand the difference in the relationship that we could have with you by your grace and the giving of your son and spirit. Oh God, would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? Oh God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? And would you give us minds to understand your word? And God, would you give us hearts to embrace your truth? And God, would you even give us voices through the power of the Holy Spirit to cry out to you in the most tender of ways, Abba, Father. And oh God, would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name? Father, the things that I say that are just my opinion are wrong. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the power of God, this gospel of God, would you use those things to draw us into family? Would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me, you'll find in your bulletin an outline And the first thing we're going to see in this passage is an interesting thing. It's really the the preparing of the promise. 
the preparing us, preparing God's people for the promised delivery of God's son or God's seed to come and rescue us. And this is really dealing with that time of coming to, of age, of coming of age as a child. In many societies, it's really important as this uh, transgression goes on, as this uh, time goes on, that you will become declared no longer a child, but in fully an adult with all the rights and the privileges of an adult. Some, some traditions celebrate this around 13 or 14. Can you imagine that time of celebrating of becoming an adult now in our society? Our society, well, it's a little different. Maybe a coming of age is when you're old enough to buy alcohol, around 21. But scripture is dealing with this time period between the promises of God way back when and the delivering of God's promise. And he prepared us for the promise. And he prepared us by what to say, these elementary powers. And it's crazy. You know what he used? He used the law of God. The God who gave us the promises of God will will give us uh, the law of God to prepare us for the promises. They're not the promises themselves. And they'll never make us the children of God. They'll never uh, allow us to be forgiven and free. The law of God was given to us to prepare us. It's like a mirror. It was a mirror held in front of us that we realize that God is holy and we're not. And we realize that not only are we sinful, but we're slaves to sin. We just can't help it. And no matter what we try to do to to obey God's law, we always stumble and fall. It was a mirror to drive us to hope of a promise. Oh God, would you please deliver on your promise? It pointed to that. What the law was doing is while we were children, it enslaved us, this, this law. But it pointed to the time that would come that God would set us free that we would become fully adopted sons and daughters, that we would reach the age that we would no longer need the tutor and the instruction of that law, and we can have this promise. So that is the first thing is this, is the preparing for the promise. But then you have in the fullness of time, this incredible passage of the delivering of the promise. And the delivering of promise is God sending forth his son. You understand with Christianity, The apex and the crux of Christianity is what we call sonship. It's what we call adoption. This is the high watermark that we could be called, according to the Bible in Christ Jesus, the sons and daughters of God, to find our lives as not slaves, but sons. It's interesting. This passage is really going to remind us of, of Exodus language. If you know the Bible, you know that God has, has throughout time brought his people out of slavery, think of the Old Testament, out of Egypt and slavery and bondage and into the promised land. Well, that was only foreshadowing what he would ultimately do with his family, with us. That he would lead us out of the, the bondage and slavery of sin and death and he'd lead us into a relationship to him, with him in the, the promised land of a new heaven and new earth. Well, God is gonna deliver on that promise. The promise he made a long, long time ago. And how is he going to do it? Well, it says, deliver on the promise, God sent his son to redeem us. Starts with that. And God would also, God the Father and Son would send the Holy Spirit to adopt us. We're going to see two amazing things of this promise being fulfilled. One is that God would send his son to redeem us. And God would send also his spirit to adopt us. We don't use the phrase redeem very often in our culture. It's not something you probably use every day, or at least not in this context. So what does it mean to us? Well, God is sending forth his son to buy us back. 
Because sin had enslaved us. We were enslaved in this. And he was going to come and he was going to do all that was necessary to set us free. And then we see that in Jesus, it's so important, is uniquely qualified to redeem us. He and he alone can do it. He's the only one who could buy us back. He's the only one who could make us right. He's the only one. I want you to picture uh, a law, a courtroom. I want you to picture that holy God is there and, and that we are, are guilty. And how in the world can we ever be redeemed before a holy God? Well, it gives us some hints right here. It says that Jesus, who was sent, he was born of a woman. Born of a woman. You want to say, well, duh. <laughs> who isn't born of a woman? But really, under the surface, there's so much being communicated when it said God sent forth his son, born of a woman. What it's telling us is this, is this Jesus, although he is the eternal God who puts on flesh, he's fully human. He's like us in every way. The writer of Hebrews says he's been made up like us in, in every way, with, yet without sin. So he relates to us. He sympathizes with us. But there's more. It was a man who broke God's law. His name was Adam and, and, and then Eve. It also must be a man who must fulfill God's law. There must be a man who also has to pay the price for breaking God's law. And therefore, the reality, he was born of a woman. But being born of a woman is even more. It reminds us of being born of a woman. It reminds us of the promise that God gave that he would send forth a seed. This is the seed of the woman. And if you follow the Bible closely, this is amazing because it goes back all the way to the very first preaching of the gospel. The very first hope of the gospel is in Genesis 3.15. It's right after sin came into the world and right after the whole world was, was broken because of our sinfulness and we were separated from a holy God. God would love us so much that he promised a seed of a woman to come. He promised the seed of a woman to come and that would set us free and to make all things right. So when he says born of a woman, we start thinking, wow, here it is, the fullness of time. This goes way back to the first hope of Genesis 3.15. And then it goes to Genesis 12. This is the promised seed that was given to, to Abraham. The seed will come to make all things right. This is the, the promised seed through David. This is the promised one that all the prophets spoke about. Born of a woman. But it's even more. Born of a woman also has the context that was born of a woman means what well, it wasn't by natural regeneration with Joseph and Mary. Born of a woman, this is one who conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you may say, oh, come on, this virgin birth thing, is that important? Of course it's important. Because if he is not born of a woman and born sinless, he cannot be the spotless lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. If he is born like us, he's like us in sin. And he can't do anything for us let it alone himself. So he's uniquely qualified when it says born of a woman, but it says even more, he's born of the law. So this is, this is God. This is God's son, the, the law giver who, who is now the one who's born under the law. Why did Jesus be born under the law? Well, he must fulfill the law. He's the one who says, I didn't come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. Born of the law, Jesus came so that he could do everything that the law required of us. Holy God and that standard has to be met. And born of the law, he's the only one who, who did what we were supposed to do that we failed to do. He fills the law for us, but it's more than that. Not only is he the one who, who raises the bar and meets it, but he's the only, also the one who absorbs the wrath of the law. We've looked at the fact that the, this uh, book of Galatians has told us that Old Testament reminds us that anyone is cursed who's hung on a tree. That breaking the law, the result of that is a curse that, that 
Jesus is the one born on the law who will not only raise the bar and do it for us, but he'll absorb the Father's wrath for breaking it on the cross. He'll cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we could hear, come to me. All you who are weary and labor and find rest, come to me. You see, the reality is that he came, Christ came to die. That's what Paul wants to begin with and end with, that the reality that he came to rescue us from our sins. God sent forth a savior to die for us so that we can live. So legally, we can now stand in God's presence. And because of Christ Jesus, we could be declared not guilty. It's amazing. In Christ Jesus, the law is fulfilled. In Christ Jesus, the payment has been made. In Christ Jesus, we owe God's law nothing. Forgiven and free, robed in his righteousness. This is incredible good news. But there's more. It says that God sent forth his son. I want you to picture that, that courtroom where a holy God will now in Christ Jesus declare us guilty. And he says, but we're not done. Because it's not enough that my people are declared not guilty. It's not enough that they're washed. It's not enough that they're robed. It's not enough that they're clean. It's not enough that they're made new. They gotta be made mine. The next legal procedure is I got to adopt them into my own. This is my family. This is the one that I laid my life, my son's life down for. God sent forth his son and only a son is able to make us his sons and daughters. You see, what Jesus would do is he would do everything legally necessary for us to be redeemed, legally adopted into God's family. And he says now that in Christ Jesus, that adoption has come. He says that we are now adopted sons. Now, last week I mentioned to you that in Christ Jesus, there is neither male nor female. But we have to understand this, is that when he says, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are an adopted son, this is exactly who we all, male and female, want to be. Because it was in this culture, it was through sons that the inheritance came. It was through sons that the blessings of the father came. And And he's basically saying, Listen, ladies, male, female, Jew, Gentile, you're all sons. You're all beloved. Every single one of you, you all get the inheritance. You're not disqualified because you're a Jew or a Gentile or male or female. You get it all. It's interesting. God's word not only calls us adopted sons, it also calls us all a bride of Christ. So in a sense, we're all called bride of Christ and a female, that kind of imagery, and we're all called adopted sons and a male. He's saying it's neither male nor female. I'm not making that distinction. I'm just saying my blessings will amazingly flow to each and every one of you in Christ Jesus. We're all adopted sons. But God doesn't just want us to legally know that. He doesn't want us to just have this legal declaration. He wants us to experience it daily. And so God will say, because you are now sons, watch this, because you are now sons, God would send forth a double blessing, not just his son, God sends his spirit. And he sends his spirit into us to give us new life and to give us a new heart. He sends his spirit into us so that we can experience the, the, the joy of adoption, the joy of relationships, so we can experience this. And how do we experience it? So we could cry out, I'm a father. To the holy God in the universe, we could be the most intimate, tender terms, I'm a father, daddy. Because of the work of the son, he wants us to experience fully the adoption of the father and to draw us in. We're not just legally adopted sons. We're experientially adopted sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. But there's more. We're not only sons of God and no longer slaves, it says, slaves to the world. But if a son, it says, and then an heir. 
It's amazing. Redeeming us was not enough for our triune God. He had to adopt us as well. And adopting us was not enough for our great God. He had to give us all the family inheritance. Everything that Jesus is deserved as the only begotten son and everything that Jesus has earned as the only obedient son. He has given us everything in Christ Jesus. That inheritance is ours. It's incredible. God is almost outgraced himself here. He held nothing back. God gave us, listen, he gave us everything he could because he sent forth his son. He sent his spirit. God gave us everything he could and he held nothing back. And all of this for our blessed adoption, all of this for our inheritance. And it's all of God's own doing. None of us deserve it. None of us on our own are worthy of it. This is all God's grace. You know the grace of God? What did he give? He gave himself. He gave his son. He gave his Holy Spirit. He gave his son to die so that we could live. He gave his Holy Spirit so that we could live. It's amazing grace that we see from this. God gave us everything. I was re- listening to uh, a friend tell a story of a podcast of a uh, uh, preacher, an Episcopal preacher who had an incredible moment in his life where he really understood the gospel. He looked back when he grew up in a Christian home as a 16-year-old, uh, his dad had gotten a new car. Dad had gotten a new car and the family was out and he was left alone and, and he broke into the family liquor cabinet. Uh, he got himself drunk and he thought it would be a good idea to take out the new car. And so he gets into the car and he doesn't get much further, maybe like a block down the street and he wrecks the new car. He's home. The father comes home to find uh, the, the car that's totaled and he finds his son in a fetal position in his room. And the son crying out saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And the father who would say, you know, son, I realized something. I didn't give you a car for your birthday. I wish I had done that. Tomorrow, we're going to go and we're going to get you a new car. Is that like the worst parenting you've ever heard in your life? <laughs> I mean, that's awful parenting. That just sounds terrible. But something happened. He said, I became a Christian that night. When I realized the love of a father can love a sinner that much. One who was unworthy could get that much. You've probably heard the story of the prodigal son or the prodigal sons. It's an amazing story that Jesus tells in Luke 15. And the younger son went to his father and he basically said, dad, I want all your stuff, but I don't want you. And matter of fact, I, I really kind of wish you were dead because I'd like to have the inheritance now. And in crazy fashion, the, the father agreed. He said, okay, son, I'll sell out and I'll, I'll give you what is going to be yours. And, and the son took it and he left and he went to a distant land. And man, he had a huge party. He said he, he squandered everything his father had given him. He squandered on fast women and booze. And, and when the money ran out, when the party was finally over, he realized he had nothing. As a matter of fact, he's, he's serving pigs. He's in a pigsty. And, and, he, and he comes to his senses a bit. He's like, what am I doing? I mean, I'm in this pigsty. I'm feeding these pigs. And a Jew shouldn't be around pigs. And yet my father, man, back at his house, those servants eat really well. He, he treats his servants really well. I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my father, 
dad, I'm no longer worthy of being a son. Will you just, just make me a servant, man? Just give me, let me earn this back. Let me work it back. Just make me one of your servants. He rehearses his speech and he's heading down to head back home. And he's amazed to see that his father's out looking for him. As a matter of fact, his father's running toward him. As the father runs to him, he's thinking about, okay, here comes the speech. Hey, father, dad, I'm, I'm no longer worthy. And, and I, I need to be made a, a slave, not a son. And the father would say, I have none of it. Are you kidding me? To have my son be a slave? To have my son? No way. Oh, no, 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 no. Go, go get a family ring and put it on him. Go, go put the family robe on him. Hey, go kill the fattened calf. We're going to party tonight because my son who is lost, he's back. And my son will always be a son. He'll never be a slave. You see, I don't know if you get that with God. But when it comes to the gospel, it's God saying in salvation, it's sonship or nothing. I wonder how many of us would think that, you know, your, your son comes back and you, know, you want to make sure he's really repentant. Okay, son, well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to have a probationary period. We're going to make sure you work this off, son. You know, I gave you a lot. You haven't earned anything. And so, son, here's the probationary son. If you can do this, then you're back here. And that's not who God the Father is. And the God the Father is, you've got to understand, you come with nothing to offer. And you come just as you are. And receive lavish grace upon you that says, I will never treat you like a slave. I, in Christ Jesus, you will only be a son. And as a son, you will inherit all things. What an incredible salvation we have. How crazy would it be for that prodigal son who came back after the party, after his digesting the, the fattened calf? How crazy would it be if that son took off the family robe? gave back the family ring and said, you know what? I think I'm going to go back to the pigsty. Then we head back to the pigsty. Then you head back there and, and, and start hanging out with the pigs again. You're like, what? Are you crazy? You've been given everything. How in the world could you go back? There's nothing there the world can offer you. And that's what was happening here. They were giving everything in Christ Jesus, but lastly, they were deserting the promise. You see, in Christ Jesus, it says in this passage that we know God and we know him not just in a distant, but we know him in Christ Jesus as Abba, Father. But even more than it says, we are known by God and not known by God as slaves, but we are known by God as sons. How in the world could we ever turn back to slavery again? And for them, that was turning back to say, maybe Jesus isn't enough. Maybe it's my own righteousness now, or maybe I need circumcision, or maybe I need this, or I need that. It was adding on to the gospel. It's, just, it's what is said as these weak elementary principles of the world. And for them, it was so much of the law. Turning back to what was weak and worthless, saying, maybe this can set me free, and this enslaves us. What I love is this, is the, the words here, is what the world has to offer in God's law I mean, whatever elementary principles that might be, it's weak. The world does not have the power to save you and me. It does not have the power to redeem us. It does not have the power to make us new. Only Christ does. What the world offers, it's worthless, this passage says. It's, it just doesn't, the world doesn't have the wealth to bless you like God does. Why in the world would we look in the world for something to bring blessing that only God can give to us? Don't go back to the pigsty. Don't go back. 
I mean, in Christ Jesus, we get it all. How is it with you? What are you running to? What are you prone to go back to, to, to add on, to try to give you life? John Newton, John Newton, incredible life. Uh, John Newton was a, uh, made a good living as a captain of a slave ship, made his living taking those uh, from Africa and making money, turning them into slaves. But John Newton, he was converted to, he was converted to a, to a storm at sea and he, he came to Jesus and he came to the reality that, that in Christ Jesus, a sinner like this could be set free. In Christ Jesus, a sinner like this could be loved and could be adopted in and it forever changed his life. We, think, we sing things like amazing grace because I think those who know how, how broken and awful they are and who, how much they receive in Christ Jesus say that's just amazing grace. And he wanted to remember that. So in his home, he had listed Deuteronomy 15, 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and your Lord, your God redeemed you. See, God wants to say, you shall remember the what you were apart from me. You were a slave, a slave to yourself and your sin and brokenness and everything the world has to offer. And by God's grace, in the work of his son, the Lord, our God, redeemed us. In this passage, it's a call to remember who we were, who we were before the promise was delivered. It's just, we were slaves. We were enslaved to remember who we are now. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are an adopted son. That's your identity in God's eyes, and it'll never change. But we also have to remember the sacrifice that made that a reality. That God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us by becoming our sin, becoming broken for us, so that in him we can be healed. This is the Lord's Supper. It's a meal of remembrance to remember that. It's a meal for us to examine our hearts, to see what pigsties we're running to. But it's a meal for his family. It's a meal to uh, see tangibly what God the Father would do for you and me so that we could be adopted in. How is it with you? Are you living like a son? Are you living like a slave? Let us pray. Father God, it's just, I, I just confess I don't have words that are eloquent and beautiful enough to describe the incredible grace that you just told us in Galatians 4 that you would love us so much that you would send your son to die for us. You would love us so much, Jesus, that you would be born of a woman and born under the law and become a curse for us. The father and son, you would love us so much you would send the Holy Spirit so that we could be adopted in, not just, not just legally be your sons and daughters, but that we can experientially know you. You, the God of the, of the universe, is our father in heaven. Oh God, we thank you for the reality of who we are in Christ Jesus. And we are mindful of the sacrifice it took for us to be adopted in. But Father, I pray that your spirit would come and help prepare our hearts to meet with you at the table. You'd help us examine our, our hearts and to see what pigsties we still have a tendency to run toward. God, we thank you that although we often act like slaves and often run from you, you'll only treat us as sons. And Holy Spirit, continue to draw us back to that reality with you. God, the love you've lavished on us deserves a response. We gotta lovingly lay our lives down for you.
and give back, not because we can earn anything. That's not who you are. But because we've been given everything and you couldn't give more. May our lives now be a living sacrifice to that reality. God, as we examine our hearts, would you uh, even use the giving of our tithes and offerings to advance your kingdom? We thank you for the privilege of, of giving back to you, the one who's given everything to us. And come meet us at the table, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.